Welcome everyone to the Retail Corner Podcast from Proxima 360. The purpose of our podcast is to bring a relaxed and educational environment to discuss the current retail landscape, best of breed products, and retail business best practices. You will always find us talking with business users, technical resources, and retail experts on how they are and where they are headed. to the Retail Corner Podcast. Today, we're going to be talking about keeping a growth mindset as a competitor in a niche market. In order to do that, we have Jeremiah Kerbers, the CEO and founder of Polysleep. How are you doing today, Jeremiah? I'm doing great. Thank you, Carlos. How are you doing? Doing amazing. Doing amazing. Thank you so much for being with us today. I know we're kind of a polar opposites of the world. I'm a little bit Central America. You're all the way up in Canada, right? How's the weather over there? Much colder than yours, that's for sure. <laughs> but we're getting uh, slowly out of it. Spring is uh, is coming, so we're quite excited. Awesome, awesome. That's great to hear. So before we get into the, the topic at hand, I want for you to share with our audience, you know, what is Polysleep, right? So people, people can we be aware of how you guys started, where you're going, what it is, and what are you trying to achieve? Yes, absolutely. Polysleep, we are a direct-to-consumer, originally a direct-to-consumer uh, mattress company. Uh, I started a project six years ago, imagine, because of a back injury. I had a double herniated disc. Oh, wow. And um, previous to starting the company, I was in MarTech. I was in uh, marketing technology for about 12 years. Always been fascinated about e-commerce. Uh, there was not a lot of major brand in Canada when we go back 10 years ago. and. When I got injured, a good friend of mine happens to run one of the largest foam manufacturing plants in uh, Canada. And I asked him, would you give me a hand building the best possible mattress? Because I'm going to be bedridden for three months and I would like to recover as fast as possible. Um, So so at the beginning, it was just the best mattress for you, not even looking for it as a business at all. Okay. okay. My, My goal really was to get the best sleeping surface where I could recover knowing that I'm going to spend so much time in bed. Um, mm. and, and I really do appreciate the fact that he helped me out. We did over 22 prototypes before getting to what wow. I wanted. Wow. Uh, that's how and I'm assuming started. that's because you went out to market and you just didn't find the right thing for you. Pretty much. Uh, okay. If I, if I were to say it in this way, a lot of different products had a lot of advantage, but a lot of disadvantage. And I really tried to build something. Uh, to give you an example, um, antimicrobial foam is something common and required in a lot of uh, industries, such as the medical space. And we're talking uh, ISO certification, certification that have to be verified by third-party independent lab because of resistant bacteria that can that they don't want to have transmitted from a patient to another. And I was thinking to myself. Well, I'm going to spend 10 years on a mattress like that. How much more expensive would it be to use that grade of foam? Because ultimately, when you look at a microscope after seven years, trust me, you would change your mattress. So that's one of the many examples of what we took from many different components in the industry. What we liked about a foam or memory foam mattress, what we didn't like about spring mattress, etc., to build what we think is the best mattress for the vast majority of the people. Um, Obviously, extremes might need custom things, but that's really how we started Polysleep. And now, fast forward six years, 
We've been amongst the fastest growing company for, for three years in a row. And wow. uh, we're tackling retail. We're tackling traditional retail. And uh, it's quite exciting. No, that's that's amazing. Congratulations so much. You know, it, it's very inspiring to hear, you know, a personal objective you want to achieve for yourself and then how you'd circle that and turn it into a business. You know, I think for all of the audience out there, it's very inspiring. We have a lot of entrepreneurs and that's what it's all about. You know, a lot of times it's, it's a dream that you start for yourself and then you see the, the add-on value that you could bring on to other folks by sharing that, right? And so with that, talking about, you know, keeping a growing mindset, obviously you've been mm -hmm. in nothing but growing mindset, I'm sure, for the past six years, right? And how yes. do you grow your company and all that? So what does that mean to you, right? Because I think a lot of people have different ideas of what a growing mindset is, right? It's, a lot of people think, oh, it's spending more money, getting more investors. And, and I don't think that's necessarily it, right? It, it, not everything is solved by just getting more investors or getting more money. I think there's got to be a bigger vision to it. I think we have to start with a strong why. Why are you trying to achieve growth or hyper growth in the first place? And in my case, it was really to showcase the amazing product we've built. Mm -hmm. And starting from that, it becomes a quest of, I will need, and I will do, and I will need to do whatever I have and whatever I need to do to scale that business because I really think it's worth it for the end user. So it becomes an obsession. In our case, it's one of our pillar. We're really tailored and focused toward customer, product, and innovation. And these are the three pillars we focus on. These are the three pillars that drive our business forward. And ev everybody in the team and everybody who's being hired in the team uh, mm -hmm. have focus. Now, when you talk about the growth mindset, like I said, it has to have a stronger purpose than just growing for the sake of growing. Especially nowadays with the current economic landscape where money is becoming less cheap, I would say, compared to mm -hmm. three, four years ago, right? Uh, VCs having a hard time, you know, uh, keeping their capital and injecting capital in the right companies. A lot of CEOs or, or founders will run after capitals, but we'll, we'll hit a door right now where they have to show profit much faster than they used to. It's not about growth at any price. So that's one thing you have to keep in mind, I think, when you want to start a business nowadays. And in terms of growth, our focus was really our customer. To me, having a growth mindset is all about bringing better value than what the current market is offering to your customers. And if you're able to do that, then by all means, seek additional investment if it's the right moment. Uh, push as hard as you can. And that's what we did. You know, we, we've, been, uh, we've been close to cash flow negative because of everything that have been reinvested for the last six years. And that's how you beat the market. That's how you grow. If you don't have shareholder or stakeholders or you don't take big salaries, well, it's all money you can reinvest in marketing and product development in, in, in the overall customer experience. And it's a big risk. You know, it's a big risk because you're all constantly trying to manage cash flows to, to build this inventory and to get that inventory into your customer's hand. So it's a complex gymnastic. <laughs> to say the least absolutely yes. absolutely yeah but, but you're so right because if you don't reinvest right into yourself into the business itself right then, then you can't expect it to grow right and, and and i think to that one thing i wanted to ask you as, as you've grown this business in the past six years uh, i think a lot of folks also spend a lot of time trying to build the pillars, trying to build the logistics of the theory or their mission statement of what they want to do, right? And I think, and correct me if I'm wrong, 
it's important to spend some time in that, but you cannot dedicate 100% of your time to that because then, then you miss the boat, right? And, and a lot of the experiences out in the field, customers' reactions, customers' engagements, they are going to really dictate to you how you should shape that, right? Because you might have one idea, but your customer is going to take you a completely different path, potentially, right? That is the exact definition of finding your blue ocean when you kickstart and jump into a red ocean. And it is actually something I would maybe do a bit differently if I were to start my business again, because we are in an extremely competitive landscape mm-hmm. and, and we really focus on a product that is something uh, people need, but that is something that have a very low barrier of entry, which is why it's so competitive. And you're absolutely right. A lot of people would tend to focus too much time and effort figuring out the perfect mission, the perfect values, the perfect vision of their business, and thinking they can conceive a brand and that this brand will be totally understood by the consumer. While in reality, any marketing initiatives or any type of branding aspect is you trying to convince your audience about what you're doing. But ultimately, mm-hmm. your brand is the sum of all the conversation that happen about your business. So if you're saying you're, you're super high in brand, but everybody that buys your product say it's the best bang for the bucks, well, you're not- Embrace that, right? Embrace, embrace that, find your niche and, and go from there. I, I strongly believe that niches are the new mass. There's so many niches. There's so many ways for people to find different products, to connect with different brands, um, never ever before we've seen brands that are even, you know, to a certain extent, almost politically involved. You can almost see like, oh, that's a blue brand and that's a red brand. You know, that's a left, and that's a right <laughs> yes. brand. So <laughs> yes. it's amazing to see how the, the the commerce in general and retail is is changing, so that people can can really have their value connecting with the brand. And I think a lot of people need to focus on that rather than just too much on their vision and mission and all this. Absolutely. Absolutely. And I think the other thing that's important is the partnerships that you build, right? Because you're only as strong as your team and not just your internal team, but your external team, right? And with that, I wanted to ask you, you know, what do you think is the key when it comes to setting up solid partnerships? Because I think a lot of times people are scared of setting up, especially with the external partnerships. Are they going to steal my idea? Are they going to shape it up? Or, right? Like there are so many, so much hesitation, I guess is the right word. Um, but what do you think is the, is the key in order to set up very solid partnerships that can go the long run? So that way your mind is not occupied in the what if, but rather yeah. in how do we accomplish? I strongly believe that your question, the answer is in your question. It's all about partnership and not short-term relationship or client and, and, and provider service. If you do externalize elements and components of your business, you got to be very diligent because once you pick that partner, it's going to take time before that partner get to know your business. So one thing I look a lot at is not necessarily which company I'm going to work with, but who's going to be the account manager? Who's going to be working on my account? And is this person most likely going to be the person that in six months would move along to another company? And that's what scares me the most when I choose partner is I want to find a partner where I'm going to build that relationship over time and that I know their employees and the people who are working on my account will one, like to work on my account 
And mm-hmm. two, we'll stay there for the long run because things are moving so fast that the three to six months it's going to take for them to understand my segment, my business, my competitors, what I'm doing differently, how I'm doing this differently, and really bring the value, the added value. I'm really careful with how I choose my partner so that I can think of, is it going to be the right person in two years from now or three years from now? Past that, it's it's very complicated, right? But at least for a couple of years, working with them uh, is, is critical for me. So that's... Yeah is absolutely right. And same goes for, for employees. You know, it's a reality nowadays with younger generation that people are not as stable in their career. Uh, and, and most likely for, for the best, uh, for them, but for a business, we got to navigate that. We know mm-hmm. we're going to have that person for one, two, three, maybe five years. That's amazing. No, but yeah, a lot of them when, when before it was 15, 20 years, you know, 15 was the standard. It wasn't even amazing. It was just standard, you know? Yeah. And now it's like, absolutely right. You have an employee yeah. for five years. Wow. What are you doing? And to a certain extent, you almost celebrate when they move uh, and, and outgrow your company because you did a good job as a manager as well. So mm-hmm. it's just uh, a very different mindset. Yeah, no, no, absolutely. But I, I think you, you mentioned very, very key elements, right? That it, it, it's, it literally is a relationship, right? Just like when you're looking for your life partner or anything like that, your, your business is your baby, right? And when your business is your baby, everything you connect to it is, is pivotal to its growth and to its mission. And as you said, the market is changing so fast, competition is so strong that six months later, they might need to know 10 new things about your business, right? And six months after that, another 10. So they have to be um, passionate about your business as much as you are, you know, absolutely. And so obviously as you're growing, there's, there's all the hassles that have come with the modern challenges of supply chain and distribution, right? That, that I'm sure that has been, a key key issue for you guys and for many, many businesses that distribute goods. So what have you guys been able to do in order to overcome those things and in order to be able to prepare and to be able to anticipate things rather than react to things? Yeah. The, The first and most important thing, which is often very easy when you have a business that operate online, is to know your data and know what to use within these data points that matters. So managing inventory based on peak customer seasonality is critical because, again, it affects cash flows. Um, It would be too easy to say, oh, we're going to produce 10 times more. And then this is pretty much what happened in certain, you know, uh, area in retail right now where you see everybody's at 50% because post-pandemic, everybody panicked. They ordered too much stock. And now we see warehousing costs increasing drastically. Mm -hmm. And, and people have to liquidate inventory. And that put a lot of pressure in certain, uh, on, on certain segments in the retail landscape. So what we do in our case is that we have a hybrid model where we're very close to just in time with a rolling inventory of about three to four weeks uh, based on customer demands for our direct-to-consumer part. And for the retail part, we, uh, within our CRM, have the, capa- the, the capability after three, four months to estimate how often and what are the quantities our retailers will order. That allows us to have a very tight inventory to uh, be able to accommodate that and also reducing our management and storage and warehouse costs associated with it. Mm-hmm. That being said, 
it's extremely hard to accomplish if you deal with overseas provider, which is why all our local, all our, our suppliers are local manufacturers. So we need, because we know it costs a little bit more to produce locally, to mm-hmm. offset the cost of producing outside of the country by having, you know, improvement in our operational uh, warehouse and, and, and transport. So, so this is how we offset the cost. Uh, another thing that is great is that quality control when you do R&D at the same exact facilities than at where you produce the final product have also a significant impact on customer satisfaction. We have a lot less defect rates. We have a lot less issues with uh, inventory that stay uh, in, in certain spaces. And then let's say when they inbox the mattress, it's not taking its space properly. So we were able to alleviate a lot of these issues by making everything locally sourced uh, at about 100 kilometers of where our head office is. So everything is produced oh, wow. around Montreal area. Well, uh, and it's also great. to that. that that's Thanks. a huge challenge. I mean, that's, you don't hear that challenge. very often. No, and, and it goes back to the previous question. It's all about partnership. Mm-hmm. If You can't do that because you almost have to convince the manufacturer to become a partner, right? It's, yes. it's, not, yes. it's not just, hey, I'm going to order a thousand of them. It's like, no, we're, we're going to grow together. And if it goes well, you'll need maybe more space and more employees. Is it something we can do? How long it's going to take before we can increase the output and, and all that? And you can only do this if you build a long-term relationship and you build this loyalty. And that became extremely helpful during COVID because we knew we were sometimes privileged over some other client because of that long-term relationship. So um, I think international commerce will change on the supply chain side of things. We see tariff put a lot of pressure in certain categories. We see also the fact that people want to bring a lot, a lot of jobs back into each and every country. And, and mm-hmm. I think it's a good thing also for the environment, because when you look at the last mile and uh, the overall mileage, our raw material and finished goods do have to, you know, move about 80% less than a lot of our competitors. So that's also very important from, from an environmental standpoint. Yeah, no, absolutely, absolutely. And, and when the, the one thing you said I really liked is you're impacting your local community, right? And so, so that's huge because if you you put a grain of salt into your local <clears throat> community and everybody yeah. subsequently does that, then you're bringing in a lot more income for everybody, right? Which then affects so much. it trickles down into the economy of your community. That is correct. Yeah. And so, what is uh, what is the one more most exciting thing you guys are working on right now? We have a very busy year uh, with uh, a big product roadmap coming along. Uh, So in April, we're going to have a a new mattress. So we're going to be at four different mattresses. So that really is to accommodate every wallet. Every people have different budgets and everybody Mm -hmm. deserves a good night's sleep. So we've really expanded our offers so that we can have a product uh, that fits everybody's needs and moment of life. You know, people through their life have different budgets and capacity and needs. So that's what we're we're always focusing on. And uh, I won't I won't give too much detail, but there's also a new line of product we're developing where we don't see uh, a lot of competitors. So it's very exciting because it's kind of a blue ocean. Uh, oh, nice! For nice, us. So, nice. So, 
Well, when you guys are ready, make sure to, you know, to come back and share the story, you know? Yeah, so absolutely. Put it out there for you guys. Yeah, absolutely. Well, the last question I have for you is, uh, you know, if you have one piece of advice for all the entrepreneurs out there that are trying to make it or they already made it and they're trying to grow their business, right? What would be the one piece of advice that you would give them in order to succeed in such a challenging retail industry? It would be a two-part advice. One would be around motivation. And one would be around resilience, because these are the two things you will need to succeed as an entrepreneur. Uh, do not listen to 90% of the videos you're going to hear on TikTok. It is not easy. It is, <laughs> it is a struggle. So the first one would be to, to build resilience. Hear everyone out in your entourage, in your family, in your friends, other entrepreneurs, but listen to nobody. And build your mm. own idea. Mm. You have an idea push it as far as you can. And the second piece of advice is, is that commerce was able to achieve what religion always hoped to achieve and what government never was able to achieve, which is helping people bring freedom and bring money and food to the tables of their family. We owe everything to people like you who tried things and generate job and, and help grow the economy. So give yourself a tap in the back when it's hard, because it's going to be hard sometimes and, and make sure you focus on the positive and the outcome, not just for you, but for everyone around you as well. Uh, that, that was very profound. Very, very profound. I really, really liked it. Jeremiah, thank you so much for your time. Thank you so much for sharing your story with us. Uh, for everybody out there listening, you know, you guys need to check out Polly Sleep. I'm sure it's amazing. And uh, Jeremiah, please keep us in the loop. Whenever you guys are ready to talk about that new product, we, we would love to share it with our audience. Wonderful. Thanks a lot for having me, Carlos. Thank you. If you would like to be featured on our podcast, please email us at podcast at retailcorner.live or visit our website, retailcorner.live. Looking forward to having you as our guest on our podcast. And thank you so much for listening.